Good to be home. Thanks for, uh, thanks for being here every Sunday. Uh, some of you are more faithful to this house than I'm able to be. And some of you, how many guys have not missed a Sunday uh, in, in, in this calendar, current calendar? You've not missed a single Sunday. Okay, you all can live in a good neighborhood in heaven, I'm pretty sure. How many guys have missed, you know, one Sunday, but it was for a really good reason? How many guys have missed more than one Sunday, and the reason wasn't that great, but this is an altar call, and I'm about to repent of... The cameraman. That's good, John. Good. Open your Bibles this morning, Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. We are starting a series on worship. And uh, before we get into anything else with worship, I want to begin with, with the, the right note. I want to begin with the right emphasis. I want to begin with the right heart. Worship has, for some reason, always been contentious. There's always been stylistic differences. There's always been theological differences, and should we sing? How many guys are old enough to remember the, the great hymnal wars of the, of the 90s? Remember those? Where, you know, we used to sing out of books and side by side, and we'd community sing, and I serve a risen Savior, he's in the world today. How many guys remember that? He lives, he lives, right? And everything had a polka beat. I don't know why. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. I will enter his gate. Boom, 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 boom. Turn off of the bubble machine. Everything was Lawrence Welk, right? And then we started going from, from hymns to like some choruses that were simple. Off, and we, people said, I don't like that singing off the wall stuff, you know? And, and I think what, what, we, what we're trying to say in our own way is that when we first came to Christ or we were baptized in the Holy Spirit or we had a deep revelation of who Jesus was, often there was a song playing in the background. And every time we hear that song, we get to relive that moment. Does that make sense? And so one generation has a different music than the others. Um, Elvis Presley was evil, and now he's like oldies. You know what I mean? The Beatles were, were terrible because they gyrated and they had long hair. <laughs> they had long hair. <laughs> uh, that was the 60s. Um, and, and now it's like everybody listens to it. So I, I, everybody's got their own expression. I think every generation needs their own expression. But today I want to start with not musical or stylistic preference because that's not what worship is. Somebody say Amen. Music is a vehicle in which we can corporately arrive at a destination of worship, but music is not worship. Worship is something deeper that transcends far deeper. It's funny how, how worship actually sometimes gets behind the walls of my heart without my permission. Have you ever found yourself worshiping? You're standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon, you look down, you're like, Wow, I didn't give you permission to worship, but how did that even happen? You're, you, you hold your grandchild for the first time. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? You hold your baby for the first time. It's worship mixed with terror. You know what I mean? And it just, it just is there. Well, we're going to talk about the foundations of worship. When the disciples first began a worshiping experience with Jesus as the son of the living God, several things were happening. So let's, let's talk about this. this. The week in which this happens in Matthew 14, a little backstory, is an exhausting week. Anybody had an exhausting week? I went with a bunch of 20-year-olds, and that some of them in their 60s, but a bunch of 20-year-olds to a tropical climate to mix concrete that was over there, down here, to pour it up there. That's what I did for a week. I watched them. I encouraged them. You're doing really well, sweetie. If your wife could only see those muscles now. You know what I mean? Or Justin McKay, someday, sweetie, you'll have a wife. Just keep trying. Just, just, keep, just flex for all the pictures. You know what I mean? And, but I encouraged them. And, and, and we have exhausting weeks sometimes. The disciples, Jesus included in this story, had an exhausting week. Uh, take a look at this. Jesus goes to his hometown, 
And here he is with all of his people. These are the people he grew up with and around. He's fixed that table. He hung that door with his dad. He, he's the carpenter's son. He's, his children, they all went to the same synagogue. And he goes there and reveals to the people that he loves and has relationship with who he is. I'm the Messiah. And they go, no, you're not. No, you're not. What's the matter with you? You're the carpenter's son. You're, you're Mary's boy. We know who you are. You're nothing more than any one of us. How dare you? He says they're offended. They're offended at him. How dare you claim to be that? And the, the Bible says that he couldn't do many miracles there, and he marveled at their lack of faith. Like they, had, they just had no trust in who he was. That same week, his cousin, John the Baptist, someone who, if there's anybody on the planet that could get him and that he could actually have fellowship with, it was the prophet John the Baptist. And when he, he this, it's a long story, but he's put in prison because he's honest. He gets his head cut off because some hoochie mama shook it for Herod. And he comes out and makes this big boast about what, up to half my kingdom, what do you want? She goes and talks to her mom, who's a scheming kind of a, why don't you just kiss God and die kind of woman, you know what I mean? A Nagatha. And, and you know, what you, you ask for the head of John the Baptist, the guy that said I was doing something wrong by sleeping with that man. And so literally they cut off a prophet's head and bring it on a platter. And it's like Jesus' best friend. You get what I'm talking about? How many of you guys ever had a bad week? So when this happens, you've got to understand, they are emotionally exhausted. Anybody ever been emotionally exhausted? Like if one more bad thing happens, it isn't that it'll, it'll be bad. It's like, I don't feel it. Dina talked about uh, your joy bucket this morning. She goes, you know, maybe God, you're here today. God's going to fill your joy bucket. I leaned over to Pastor Jason. I said, what's a joy bucket? I want one. <laughs> he leaned back and he said, Cuban coffee shots. Very small, you know. But they're emotionally exhausted. Like, I just can't take one more bad thing. I mean, like when the phone rings, like, oh, I wonder who it is. Other times the phone rings, you're like, oh, my gosh. Have you ever had a week that was so bad that you hoped it was the AT&T person wanting you back to their long-distance plan? Because it would be the first nice person you've spoken to all week long. They're emotionally exhausted. Um, Jesus tries to get his, his people away from a crowd um, that, that he tries to get his disciples out, away from that. Let's just go, let's go be alone. Well, then when they land their boat, people knew where they were going, and there's a crowd that he has to minister to, feed, heal, that's twice the size of the population of Fenton. They're emotionally exhausted, and they run into a crowd of needy people. Anybody else, like, have a two-year-old in your life? I know that feeling. I was listening to, I think it was Carol Burnett talked about having three children. So, you know, what's it like to have your third child? She said, the first one, you know, is my husband and I, and, you know, we, we could do it. The second one, you know, we could play man-to-man. And, and then the third one came, we had to start playing zone defense. Like, I'll, I take this zone, you take that zone. She said, well, you know, what's the difference? She said, well, imagine you, you're, you're, you're drowning, you know what I mean? And, you're, and you're, it's just the water's right here, and you're getting your last breath. And someone comes by in a boat, and they hand you a baby. That's what it's like to be a parent of three, three children under five years old. I thought, man, it's pretty honest, you know. So this is where they're at. They, they land, and, and they have to feed all these people. They have to provide. I mean, there's thousands and thousands of people. So now they're not just emotionally exhausted. They're, they're physically exhausted. Feeding the city of Fenton times two a meal is a lot of work. Even though God did the preparation, the meal, the loaves and the fish were multiplied, there's still baskets they're cleaning up. There's still, hey, you guys ever said, hey, stay, sit down over here. You guys over here, all right. Now, in groups of 10, let's go. We're going to feed this. I mean, they're, they're yelling. They're exhausted emotionally and physically. And then Jesus begins healing people. I don't know if you know what this would be like. I don't, I'm not sure that I know what this would be like, but it has to be some sort of orderly thing. It's not like thousands of people crushing in on Jesus. That's like the Who concert in Cincinnati in 1979. How many of you guys are old enough to remember? Okay, and if you don't remember the 70s, you were probably still there. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was a joke. Um, 
It used to be the 60s, but now it's the 70s. So he heals the multitudes. Now, I'm not sure if this is true or not, but I think I know what I mean when I say this. Now I think they might even be spiritually exhausted. I don't know that Jesus was ever spiritually exhausted, but I know that I've been spiritually exhausted. Um, Pastor, do you have a minute? Everything in me goes, no. Could you help me with that? No. Could you pray for my, please don't ask me for anything else. Like, like this is where they're at. They're, they're emotionally, physically, maybe even if there is such a thing for Jesus or the disciples, spiritually exhausted. I have nothing left to give. And this is where our story begins. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 says this. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. I love this. I love this sense that Jesus understands what they're looking for is not really in you 12 yet. It's in me. They want me. They need me. They're programmed to need me. They haven't had me their whole life. They need healing. They need wisdom. They need food. They, 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 they're curious. They have questions. And so, listen, let's just do this because they're not going to give. I, I'm going to dismiss her. I'm going to send them. Okay, guys, good to see you. Good to, ha- good to know you. Hey, you ever listen to somebody on the phone like, okay, well, that's good. Okay. All right, well, that's, well, it's good talking with you. I really hope. How many guys can tell when someone's trying to hang up on you? Jesus is hanging up on thousands of people. Thanks for coming. You guys are awesome. No, you're no, you are. Don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. You know? And he tells the guys, listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna send everybody loose. You guys get a head start. Like, just get out of here and go get some rest. This is I just I call it the goodness of God. How many guys ever experienced the goodness of God? Like, I'll take care of this. I'll handle this. This one's on me. Jesus, I think, is just as physically exhausted as the rest of them are. Maybe more so because he's the one doing all the stuff. He's just as emotionally exhausted. He's still grieving the death of his cousin. He's still dealing with the rejection of his friends that he grew up with at the synagogue together. I could play ball with you, man. Remember when we used to play Israelites and Egyptians? It's not the first time I played that game. I played it for real, you know? I'm the one who parted the Red Sea, so kind of been there. And now you say, I don't believe in you. Get away from me. You're crazy. He's still dealing with this. But he says, just go on ahead. I'm not sure if you've ever had this before. I'm not even sure this is a valid prayer, but I pray it from time to time. And God has consistently answered it for 30 years. I say, God, thanks for everything in my life. The good stuff and the bad stuff. But if you don't mind, I just need a break right now. So if you could cut off the season of bad stuff, exhausting stuff, endless stuff, and just give me, a, just give me a, a, some still waters and some green grass, I'd really appreciate it universally God has respected that request and, and the trials have ended. Isn't that crazy? Not ended like forever because, you know, there's, there's that other thing called Tuesday that you come back to, but there is that rest, the goodness of God. Everybody say the goodness of God. Just the goodness of God. God, just, I got this. The, this is the, the Psalms 23. He leads me by still, you know, waters. He leads me through green pastures. Um, and, and they're experiencing that. They get in the boat. Jesus is there with the crowd. They're like, see you later. They get in the boat. How many of you ever had that? You look at each other like, whew, the grandkids are gone. Whew, the relatives just left for Thanksgiving. Let's clean up the place and take a nap. That's what they're doing in the boat. They're like, let's go. Finally, it's quiet. Finally. And they start singling. How many of you know there's some serenity on the water that just isn't on the land? There's some serenity amongst good friends that there just isn't in large crowds. And they're doing this. And it's time. They're just experiencing the goodness of God. We're talking about worship. And I want you to notice something. When they got into the boat, Jesus is going to handle the weighty things they didn't have the capacity for. None of them worship him. You guys go on ahead. I just, I'm just being good to you. I can handle this in a way that you can't. So you just go ahead. And they're like, oh, we love you, God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. They just go, oh, good idea. And they get in the boat. 
and they split. It didn't happen. So let's, let's go on. Verse 23. After he had dismissed them, so everybody's gone now, Jesus goes up on a mountainside by himself, and he just sits there. He's just he's in prayer. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land. He can see it somehow. And, and there's these waves that are hitting it, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, <laughs> Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. How many guys love when the Bible just says it? It's like, so he's walking on the water one day. I think it was a Thursday. You're like, wait, go back. He did what? Yeah, he's walking on water. How many guys know that the surface tension, the molecular structure of H2O does not provide the, the adhesion? It does not provide the, the ability for a liquid to become solid. Liquid, by definition, has a surface tension, but not enough to sustain the weight of a, of a grown man. And yet Jesus just walks on water. What they're experiencing now is the power of God. They, Jesus comes in walking on the water, and, and they see him. We'll get that in a minute. And they have a fairly strong reaction, but the fairly strong reaction, again, is not going to be worship. They see the power of God. They see a man walking on water, and they don't worship. It's not in the vocabulary. It hasn't happened yet. Nowhere in all their experience with Jesus, they've seen him raise the dead. They've seen him cast out demons. They've seen him heal thousands. They've watched the multiplication of the loaves and the fish. Miracle after miracle, sign after sign, wonder after wonder, and not once in Scripture have they worshipped him. Why? Because we'll get to that in a minute. But, but it isn't evidently the goodness of God that caused them to worship him for the first time. It wasn't the power of God that caused him to worship for the first time. It just didn't happen. So it did happen. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, verse 26, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. How many guys just want to say, oh, you have little brains. You're missing this. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Now they have the commands of God. They have the promises of God. They have the words of God to stand on. If, if I can stand on this lake, you can stand on my words. And still they don't worship. Just just side note, why do you think they thought it was a ghost? Anybody? Let me ask you another question. Anybody here have an uncle or an older brother? I'm just curious. Because I think the reason they thought it was a ghost, because I think they were, when they were boys, they're out fishing at night. And the uncle, you know the uncle I'm talking about, right? The older brother, the cousin, you know what I'm talking about, right? Mike, you know, because it's you. You know what I mean? That you're like out there on the lake and say, hey, did I ever tell you about the time? On a night just like tonight. Me and your dad were out here. Oh, Bob, don't tell him that. I, it's okay. I, he's man enough now. He's four. He can take it. <laughs> we saw something off in the distance. It was coming towards us, and the wind blew, and it disappeared. But we're pretty sure it was your cousin Jerry who died in these waters years ago. What do you want for dinner? <laughs> right? So when they see it, they connect the dot. It's a ghost! How do you know? Because Uncle Bob told me that Jerry's out here walking on the water. I'm so grateful for my older siblings. May they rest in peace someday. Amen. So they have the commands of God. Jesus says, it's me. It's me, guys. Hey, it's me. And he gives them a command. Don't be afraid. And again, I, I don't mean to belabor this, but do you see what's happening? In the context of worship, they're seeing someone walking on water, giving them words, displaying the power after experiencing his goodness, and none of it inspires them to worship. So he says this. Peter goes on, Lord, if it's you... Tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked down the water, and came towards Jesus. What's this? Well, this, this is the goodness, the power, and the commands of God all at one time. And they're still not worshiping. 
and, and please, it's not like they're wrong for not worshiping. It's not time to worship yet. It's not natural yet. That thing that happens before we understand what worship is, that first place when we begin to understand the premise of worship, not being music, not being preference, not being culture, not being the Beatles, not being a certain rhythm, not your favorite instrument, not your favorite singer. When we understand that worship begins in the same place for everybody, you have to understand it's not when you see his miracles. It's not when you see his goodness. It's not when you see his power. It's not even when you get his commands and you know what the word of God says. The goodness, the power, the commands, and it still didn't happen. Look at verse 30. But when he saw the wind, this is Peter, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Now look at this. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, and he caught him. You have little brains, he said. You have little faith, he said. Why, do you, why did you doubt when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Now, something just happened. It happened to one of them, but it happened to all of them. Something just happened. The wind is beating them. They're physically, emotionally, spiritually exhausted. The wind's against them. Nothing's working. Everything's wrong. I don't know what's happening. Why is this going on? It's a ghost. The commands, the goodness, the power, the greatness, it's all sitting right there. But something happened when Jesus reached out his hand and grabbed hold of Peter. And he carried him back to a boat full of frightened men. What was Peter's prayer? Anybody remember? Lord, what? Hear what I'm trying to say to you. It is proper to be in awe of the miracles. It is proper to be in awe of the teachings. It is proper. It is right to be in awe of all the things that Jesus does because of his goodness towards you. But it was not until Jesus saved these men the worship happened. Look at this. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. You guys still here? Before we get into any expressions of worship, should we clap our hands? Should we raise our hands? Should we stand in the front? Should we stand in the back? Should it be loud? What's the proper volume? Is that screen an, an annoyance or a benefit? Is stained glass of the devil? I don't, you know what I mean? Before we get into it, is Hillsong's doctrine, but what about Bethel? You know there's that triangle that goes up, and if we put tinfoil on our head, we can't hear the voices. Unfortunately, our generation has fallen for the same lie that every generation seems to have fallen for, and that is we've reduced worship to an expression that happens at the time, at the place, with the people that do the thing. I'm telling you this. The most sincere and beautiful form of worship happens when you ask God to save you, and he does. When people wander from God and they start getting lost in all the minutia, all the culture, in Revelation chapter 3, there's a church that's going through this, a church of, uh, was it Sardis, I believe it is. I'm not prepared I didn't, to teach this, but it just comes to my heart. Jesus doesn't say, hey, go back to the Beatles. Hey, go back to Elvis. Hey, go back to the hymns. Hey, go back. He says this, go back to your first love. Rem if you want to reset your heart, go back to the first time you realized who he was in your life. And you'll reset your worship. You'll reset your devotion. You'll reset your spirit. You'll refill your joy bucket. <laughs> You'll have a shot of Cuban coffee in the spiritual realm. Like, go, go back to that moment when you realized he was more than a teacher. He was more than a piece of jewelry that hung on your neck. He was more than the things you'd memorized. He's more than the standards by which you hope to live your life. He's more than the habits that you've created since that time. Go back to that first moment when your heart first realized who he was and that he saved you and you'll recalibrate to the spirit and truth of worship.
Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Uh, through verse 50, I won't read it. It tells a story of a woman who had lived a very um, sinful life. The Bible just says it that. She'd known uh, a lot of the men in that village. Jesus comes to a man named Simon's house. He's a Pharisee. He's a separated one, a, a, an Orthodox, Orthodox, Orthodox Jew. Memorized the entire first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch. Um, is, is just holy as men's standards go, religious beyond anything that you would probably, I would, would ever experience really in this life. I live under grace, so I haven't valued that, but this man lived under the law and he just like every minutia, every comma, every exclamation point, like it's all got, I got to live it all. Strangely enough, a woman who is probably a prostitute feels pretty comfortable in his home. I'm not going to go into that explanation, but she walks in without being stopped, and Jesus is at the table, and they're discussing theology and how the service went. They're high-fiving each other about the, the miracles that happened, and this woman comes in, and she falls at the feet of Jesus and just loses it. I mean, like loose booger cries, just bawling, and she's weeping, and as, and as her tears are touching Jesus' feet, she's taking her hair, and she's washing his feet with her hair. I don't, I don't mean to be whatever, but you realize there wasn't like animals are transportation and animals do what animals do do I mean a man's feet are, are never a nice thing they're ugly they're smelly they're calloused and, and those are the ones that are clean I just lived with a bunch of men for a week let me tell you something no let me not tell you something just use your imagination this woman's got her face this close to the feet that she's weeping and tears are falling from her eyes and she sees the mud that's formed and she takes her hair and she just begins to wash his feet with her tears. And Simon, the Pharisee, goes, well, there goes that guy's prophet test. If he was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is and that, you know, what she does for a living and who, what she's been and, you know, just like she, she can't, he can't possibly be a prophet because he would pick up on like, like the cooties. He would sense Klingons in, in the southern quadrant. He would, she would, he would just know that something's not right here, so ah, he's not a prophet. And Jesus, picking up on that, says to him, Simon, I want to ask you a question. He goes, go ahead, Lord, ask me a question. So the man owed, uh, there's two men that owed a guy money. One owed about a year and a half of daily wages. The other one about a month and a half of daily wages. The man looked at the man who owed, you know, 500 and the man that owed 50. He said, I forgive you both. You don't owe me anything anymore. It's over with. Which one do you think will love the man more. And Simon goes, well, I, I suppose it's the guy that owed 500, a year and a half's wages. He got a year and a half back. He said, you've answered correctly. Do you see this woman? Simon goes, yeah. He says, when, when I came into your house, the common courtesies of our land dictate that you would offer me something to wash my feet with. If you consider me an honored guest, you would have given me some oil and I put the oil on my head and just kind of present myself, kind of a uh, little dabble, do you? You know what I mean? An anointing, a fragrance just in your home. You, you offered me neither one of those things with this woman. She washed my feet with her tears and she dried them with her hair. And so I tell you, I can tell you what's going on in her life and I can tell you what's going on in your life based on the reaction that you're having to me right now. Her many sins are forgiven because, do you see the way she's loving me? And Simon, the problem is that you think you're so holy, you don't need my mercy. And so when I came in, you treated me like a Joe. Yo, sup. She's treating me like the king that I am. 
valuing what I do and what I've done. She knows who I am because of her sinfulness in a way that you don't know who I am. Her sins are forgiven. This is the way forgiven people interact with me. And this is the way people that think they don't need mercy interact with me. So church, I just simply say this to you today. Before we get into styles and expressions and artists, can, can we just stop and say, I think this most sincere form of worship could happen in the next few minutes. What time is it? The next minute. Close your eyes, would you? Just, just to do this right now. I go back to it. Uh, I'm not teaching it properly because I don't recall. I think it's Revelation chapter three and I think it's Sardis, but it could, I could be wrong. But one of the churches of the seven that's addressed in, in Revelation said, remember, remember, remember your first love. If you're here today and you're like, I, Jim, I'm, I'm a fairly religious person. I think I'm a good guy. I, I think I'm a, you know, a moral woman. I think I'm, you know, but I, I can't ever say I've honestly ever just worshiped the way those men did that night in the middle of the lake. I can't say that if I were sitting with Simon and Jesus and this woman, I, I think I'd probably be the one sitting at the table with Jesus, not the one on her face weeping. But let me just say this. If you've worshiped your whole life and your heart has grown distant and complicated and political and there's strife and, and other things that are polluting this most sincerest thing, the thing probably for which you were born to be the highest expression, that which you will express for all eternity that has been stunted by the weeds planted in your life. Can we just stop and forget and push aside the lesser things and just behold Jesus for who he is? Does he do miracles? Yes. I haven't seemed to figure out a way to make him do it every time I ask him to do it. But does he do miracles? Yes. Does he walk on water? He does crazy stuff all the time. Saw some of it this last week. Are his commands right and true? Yes. We've seen the goodness, the power, the commands of God. But until we behold our Savior, until we realize it's better to be kneeling beside the table weeping than it is sitting at the table chatting, I just, I'm sorry, but I, I have to say that again if I can remember it. Until we recognize it's better to be kneeling by the table weeping than it is to be sitting at the table talking. Until we realize it's better to be kneeling at the feet of Jesus weeping than it is to be sitting at the table talking. We'll forget inch by inch, day by day, year by year, what worship really is supposed to be. It's supposed to be those who have been forgiven so much, loving so much. Don't tell me, but tell your own soul. What was it like the first day you met Jesus, the first night you prayed that prayer, the first time his word came alive, the first time you realized what he'd done for you and was doing in you? What was it like when you realized you weren't an orphan? What was it like when you realized he was on your side? What was it like when you realized that everything he'd begun in you as a good work was going to continue until he promised its completion? What, what was it like when you realized that God was for you and not against you? What was it like when worship just came out of you because you didn't know any other thing to say or do but just, just, just be grateful, just to weep, just to love back, just to touch him, just to be touched by him? There was no greater joy. What was it like when you couldn't stop talking about Jesus? What was it like when his love was like your first and only love? What was it like 
If you want to recalibrate the other areas of your life, go back there and spend some time. Go back there and remember. Go back there and never forget. Go back there. And while you're there, why don't you just build a house and stay there? When you realize that he saved you, I gave my life to Jesus at a rock concert, but it wasn't, it was the most significant experience of my life up to that point. I remember I wanted to do a backflip. I was trying to find some expression of joy. Literally, I remember I thought, I think I could do a backflip. Thank God I didn't. I remember that feeling. I wasn't discipled. I walked away from God and back into my addictions. But when I came back to the Lord, not realizing that God forgave people more than once, I honestly didn't. I didn't realize prodigal sons could come home. I wept at that altar, man. I wept and wept and wept. I, I mean, stuff came out my nose, out my eyes, out my ears. I cried. I coughed. I, I, I just wept. By the time I was done, there was nobody left in the church but me and this, this elderly woman who played the organ. I think that's probably the most significant moment of my life. And occasionally I go back to that room in my imagination, I kneel at that wooden altar and I just remember the love that God poured on a, on a lost boy that had gone back, even though he knew it was wrong this time. First time I was smoking dope and it's just what everybody did, but this, I'd experienced holiness. I'd tasted the goodness of God. And when he took me back as if I'd never left, it destroyed me. His feet weren't there, but the altar was, and I wet it. Today, I just encourage you, if you ought to find any place in Christ where you can feel your heart beat again, go back to your first love when he first forgave you. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You're like, Jim, I'm here, but I don't know that he ever has. I'm not sure I've ever been asked. I know Jesus kind of like I know George Washington. I've heard stories about him and cherry trees and wooden teeth and cannot tell a lie and president and I... But I don't know him. I've never experienced anything like what you're talking about. I, I would just say this today. If you're here and you're like, I've never had this, but I want this. I, I think this is why Jesus gave his life and why he rose from the dead and why he sent the Holy Spirit so you could have this. This is not some rare occurrence. This is not walking on water. This is breathing. This is sunshine. This is a cold glass of water on a hot day. This is the warm sun in, in January. This is, this is what God wants for you. If you're here and you're not right with the Lord, you have your heads bowed and your eyes closed, mine will be open. If you're here, like, man, I, I want this today. I want Jesus. I want my first love. I want to be forgiven. I want to know what it's like to be forgiven much. I want to take my much and ask him to take it away. If that's you today, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in just a moment. Like, that's me, Jim. I want this. I need this. I accept Jesus today as, as my only source of salvation. I have nothing. My good deeds ain't going to do it. Like, this is what I want. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand right now. Simple act of faith. Thank you. Wonderful. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I love that. Beautiful. Man, that was without hesitation. And wow, okay. All over this room right now, pray this with me. Simple prayer. It'd be my honor right now just to lead you to Jesus. Say this with me right now. Jesus, I was wrong. And you were so right. Thank you for living for me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for defeating death, hell, and the grave for me. I need so much mercy. 
And I trust that you have more than enough, that you've done more than enough, that you are more than enough for me. Here's my life. I belong to you and you belong to me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Teach me your word. I'll see you soon. Quietly, would you just please stand to your feet? Just in, the, just in reverence right now. Please, let's not, don't pick up your purse, don't run for the door. Love you, God. I love you, God. I love you, God. I love you, God. I love you, God. Come on, just tell him right now. God, thank you. God, I love you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for your mercy. I love your commands. Come on, tell him, I love your power. God, I, I love all that you've said. I love all that you've done. I love the loaves and the fish. I love your blessings. But God, I will never stop worshiping you because you forgave me when I didn't deserve it, because you love me when I didn't even know if I loved myself. I come back to my first love. I recalibrate my life around this one truth. My many sins are forgiven. And I am a son. I am a daughter of the Most High God. I am in right standing because of what Jesus did for me. And I will never stop praising you. I will never stop saying thank you. If I could draw a breath for the next hundred years and exhale for eternity, it would only begin to express what you are worthy of, God. All that I am, all that I have, all that I will ever be, Father, belongs to you. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. Come on, church, tell him. God, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your love. We thank you for finding us, for valuing us. When I was the fat kid with glasses that got picked last in kickball, it was your holy hand that pointed a, a solemn finger at my head and said, I want that one right there to be my son. I choose you. And God, I got to change teams. I got to go from being an addict. I got to go from being a, a hopeless dope fiend to a dopeless hope fiend because of the love of my God. Father, let us never forget. Let us always remember. Let us stand before us forever and ever and ever. Our God's mercy mercy is strong. Our God's love is eternal. May we never walk away from it. I don't care what song we sing. I don't care if it's in tune. I don't care how loud or how soft. God, may our hearts never stop singing your praise. May our lives never stop just, just exalting your name. May we never forget the fragrance of salvation, God. May we put it on every day. May we wear it with pride. May we walk saying, my God has forgiven me my sins. May we wet your feet with our tears and dry it with our hair and break open our jars of perfume and make the room smell like a holy God. May we just today, God, never, 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 never forget what it took to make us right. Those who received you today, those who are coming back to their first love today, God, may we never, never forget. May we never forget, God. May we never forget. We stand in awe of the miracles but we worship the Savior. We're enamored by the wisdom of your word, but we worship the Savior. The day we're on level ground standing next to you and you're not worthy of our praise is a very bad day for our lives. So we kneel at your feet and we weep with gratitude for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen, amen. Hey, altar workers are coming forward today. If you need prayer for anything, we'd love to pray for you. I think my wife said there is a guest reception back in the back room today. I went long today. Um, what, 10 minutes over? Something like that. So next week, it'll be 10 minutes shorter. How many guys believe that? Okay. 
God bless you. Live long, prosper. Any prayer come this way? Enjoy the presence of the Lord. Don't leave the first love.